I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. If you will, stand with me and turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, we're going to start at verse 1. We're on a journey with the Israelites this morning. Exodus chapter 33, we're going to start at verses 1 and proceed through verse 6. Then we're going to drop down to verse 12 and, and proceed to 17. When you have it, say amen. And the word of the Lord reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off the ornaments at Mount Horeb. Down to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, leave these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Amen. Our Father, our God, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. We thank you, Lord, for your word, Father God, for the encouragement, the edification, the, ex the exhortation of your word, Father, Father God. We pray, Lord, that you will arrest our thoughts Rest our minds, Father God, that we may receive your message clearly. I pray, Father God, that we not look to our neighbors, but that we may examine ourselves, Father God, and understand, Father God, what it is you are trying to tell us, Lord. I pray, Father God, that this will not simply be a message that is entertaining, but it may be a message, Father God, that draws us nearer to you, Father God, and helps us to walk in, in godliness, Father God, before you. Again, I just thank you and praise you for this opportunity. I pray that you will speak now at this moment, Lord. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that I do pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. I title the message this morning, Desiring God's Presence or His Presence. 
desiring God's presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, or his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. Today, more than any other time, especially in this country in which we live, we are prone to pursue material things, cars, homes, clothes, uh, TVs, uh, all these things, these, the stuff, money, instead of or in addition to pursuing the presence of the Lord. So my question is, what is your desire? Are you desiring God's presence or his presence? Are you worshiping God with pure motives? Instead of desiring and worshiping God simply for who he is and the work that was already done on the cross by Jesus Christ, are we seeking his temporal blessings instead of his spiritual blessings? How often have you thought about and given thought to the fact that your material blessings or your material possessions are an indication of how blessed you are? Rather than thinking on the, the thought that you are blessed because you have a relationship with the one true and only God, that you have peace with God, and that you are known as a child of God. If you lost most of your possessions and even some loved ones in your life, would the presence of the Lord be enough for you? Would the presence of the Lord be enough for you? In this passage, we see how important it is to have the presence of the Lord. The Lord is letting us know that material possessions are not a substitute. There are no substitute for his presence. And reminding us that we should be thankful to God for our material possessions, but we should glorify him even more for the fact of who he is. Amen? And the grace in which we stand. And we better be careful. We better be careful to not mistake his presence for his presence. For there's only one gift that we should truly be thankful for, and that is the gift of eternal life. Amen? Amen. In this passage that, that was just read, we see that Moses and the Israelites, they're on their exodus. They have left Egypt, been successful by the power of God to flee from the Egyptians, and they're on their way to Canaan, on their way to the promised land. Amen? But, they have resisted and rebelled against God, it seems like, every step of the way. Every step of the way, they have resisted and rebelled against the Lord. They were not content with the Lord's presence. They were not content with his presence, even more so to the point that they fashioned idols. An idol in the image of a golden calf. Because they weren't content with the presence of the Lord. They were committing idolatry, giving the attention and the glory to material things that was only fit to be given to God. Amen? Amen. So we see how important it is to pursue the presence of the Lord. 
when we speak about the presence of the Lord, what comes to mind? I mean, there's all sorts of, of things that come to our mind when we think about the presence of the Lord, for we know that God is omnipresent, right? He's everywhere at the same time. He is in Asia just as well as here at the same time. He is not in time. He transcends time. He is outside of time. There is no past, present, or future with God. He sees all. Amen? And so when we think about the presence of the Lord, sometimes we may think about him being omnipresent. And that certainly is the case. The Lord is, is with us. He sees us. He sees everything we do. He sees the, the wicked and the, the righteous. He sees the good and the bad. But when I speak about the presence this morning, I'm speaking about it in the sense of experiencing the influence and the involvement of the Lord in one's life, in particular through the Holy Spirit. To the point at which nothing else satisfies us except for the presence of the Lord. When we look at what has taken place here, the Lord told Moses to go ahead and lead the people into the promised land. I mean, follow me. They're, they're on their way from Egypt. They've rebelled against the Lord all the way. The Lord has been merciful to them, so they've probably taken God for granted a little bit. Right? Have any of us been there before? Taking God for granted a little bit. And they're on their way from Egypt. They're going into the promised land. The Lord tells Moses, he says, go ahead and go on into the promised land. Right? You go ahead and go on. I'm going to send an angel before you. He's going to wipe out the Amorites. He's going to wipe out the Hittites, Parasites, all the Hittites. Everybody. Everybody who's a tights, he's wiping them out. That's what he said, basically. Um, he's going to clear the land. Now, everything sounds good, right? I mean, the, 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 the Israelites are going to have land. I mean, we're talking about uh, uh, a good land. We're going to have a permanent home, prime real estate. Everything's looking good. We're going to have land. They're, they're not, they're, they, ain't, they ain't even going to have to fight, right? The Lord said, I'm going to send an angel before you. He's going to take care of everything, right? So wait a minute. We get land. We don't have to fight for it. God is, God is good, right? He's taking care of everything for us. Amen? Not only mention, we're not going to have to eat manna anymore. We're going to have steak. We're going to have some food. The land is flowing with milk and honey. Everything is good. Not to mention that the food that they were, they were receiving was, was choice food. I mean, it was heavenly food that no one else had. But they weren't thinking about that. We just, we want to eat this manna, we want to, we want to fight, we're going to have land, everything sounds good, but the Lord says something that shakes them up. He says something that shakes them up. For he says, go ahead and go on. Go ahead, I'm going to give you possession of the land. But he says, I will not go with you. I will not go with you. Possessions and, and things, material things are no indication of God's presence. And so when the Lord says this, it just arrests, arrests the Israelites in their tracks. Everything sounded good up until that point when the Lord said, I will not go with you. He would give them possession of the land. He will fight for them. But he will not give them his presence. And why did the Lord respond in such a way? First of all, we see he responded because of their disobedience. He responded that way because of their disobedience. The Lord told Moses, if I go with you, I'm, I'm liable to destroy them. He said, I can't go with you because I will destroy you. He says, you are stiff-necked people. 
means, I, you know, you, you're so hard-headed. I can't, he says, I can't go with you. So we see that one thing that is important for the presence of the Lord in our life is obedience. Obedience, our obedience plays a big part in experiencing the influence and the involvement of the Lord in our life. And for that reason, the Lord said, I can't go with you. When we abide in and obey the Lord, we experience the influence and the involvement of the Lord and the Holy Spirit to be led by the Holy Spirit and to walk by the influence and the involvement of the Holy Spirit. All starts with obedience. Christ said, you, it, you, if you love me, you will obey me. That's what he said. So when looking at the Israelites, we see a direct correlation with obedience and God's presence or their disobedience and God removing his presence. And it was only the mercy of the Lord that kept him from destroying the Israelites. I mean, think about it. The Israelites had the Shekinah glory of God. I mean, God was in the cloud. He was, I mean, God was Shekinah glory. I mean, he was present with them. Right? But that wasn't enough for them. Or they took it for granted. They took it for, uh, for advantage. They took, it, took advantage of the Lord. But it was only his mercy that kept him from destroying them. They were an obstinate people. Hard heart. Determined to do their own thing even in the midst of his presence. Even in the midst of his presence. And we say, sometimes we say, man, if, I, if God was, was with me like that, if I saw his Shekinah glory, I wouldn't, I wouldn't respond like the Israelites respond. I'd be on it. That's what we tell ourselves. That's what we tell ourselves. But God has given you something even more precious, his Holy Spirit within you. And God is in your presence every single day. But sometimes we respond as if he's not. So let us not look down on the Israelites and let us examine ourselves. How often have we tested the Lord's patience by habitually sinning? And then responding with grace is mine or amazing grace. Uh, taunting God in a sense. As if everything is okay. And we truly stand in his grace and his mercy. But let us not taunt him uh, and continue to, to, to be disobedient as the Israelites were. So we see the first thing that is important for us to stand in the presence of the Lord is we need to be obedient to God. If we want to experience the influence and the involvement of the Lord in our life, we must be obedient to him. Second reason we see why the Lord responded in the way that he did was the Lord will not share his glory with anyone or anything. Isaiah 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. So it's not as though God can't compete. It's not that God can't destroy the idols. It's just, it's, it's, it's an insult to him that he even has to, that he even has to, that, he, that he's even spoken of in the same sentence. So, so often we want the Lord in something else. It's not that we, we, dis, we, we just want to, we don't want the Lord. It's that we want the Lord and something else with it. 
right? It's not enough, right? I like to think of it as supplements. We want supplements to God's peace. We want supplements to God's joy. We want supplements to God's security. We want supplements to God's presence. When I think about supplements, uh, many of us take supplements every day. You take, a, you take vitamins, right? Your body creates vitamin A and vitamin C and all these things, but you take supplements because you want that daily allowance, right? You ha aren't getting quite enough of it, so you take a supplement to give you more of it. You see health food stores like GNC, and they have all these supplements. It's not that they have something or they're giving you something that you don't already, your body doesn't already create. It's just you saying, I don't have enough in my body, so I want a supplement to give me more. I need more protein. I need more creatine. I need more amino acids. So we take supplements in addition to what the body already creates. And that spills over into our relationship with the Lord and say, the Lord's peace is good. The Lord's joy is good. His security is good. But I need some supplements along with that. I need some supplements. I need something to supplement that. And praise the Lord that he's given me this stuff. So we need supplements. Too often we're looking for these things. A.W. Tozer, love what he said. He said, God wants to get us to a place that if we only had him, we would still be happy. We do not need God and something else. It is God and something else that is the trouble with us. But when we get God and satisfied that we can have God and nothing else, then God gives us himself and lets us have other things too. Amen? Amen? Amen. So he says it's then when we get to the point where we're satisfied with God and nothing else, then he gives us himself and other things too. So the Lord, we see he won't compete with idols. He won't give his glory to anything else. The Lord is letting us know over and over and over again that there are no other gods but him, that he will not compete with anyone else. We live in the most affluent country in the world. But for that reason, we also are the most fickle when it comes to commitment to Christ. The most affluent country have everything there is, people just willing to die to come to this country, cross oceans to get to this country, but yet we're the most fickle when it comes to commitment to Christ. And I don't think there's any coincidence that it's because we are the most affluent country, because we have possessions. Every time we get more attention to our possessions than to the Lord, I, I know the Holy Spirit is grieved. When we give more attention to the TV than, do we, than, than, than to the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is grieved. Because we're giving more attention to created things and not to the creator of all things. When we spend more time on Facebook than more time in his book, the Holy Spirit is grieved. You have the presence of God in you. Uh -huh. And we sit in front of the TV rather than desiring the presence of God. And do we still expect the involvement and the influence of God in our life? When we send mixed messages, I need a supplement. 
I need a supplement. God's people don't need supplements. Why do we spend so much time designing material things? Why is that? Primary reason is we were made to worship. We were made to worship. Either you are going to worship God or you're going to worship created things. It's in our DNA. We were created that way. So you will, it naturally, we will cling to something. It's natural. So we're either going to serve God or we're, or we're going to serve created things. You want to see how the Israelites got to this point? Flip one chapter over to Exodus chapter 32. We're going to see how the Israelites got into the place of where they are now, where the Lord threatened to remove his presence from them. Chapter 32, verses 1 through 4. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up from Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are our gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So we see what happened to the Israelites. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He's there for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Israelites are like, we don't know what happened to Moses. He could have been killed. We don't know. He's taken too long. I mean, it's, a, it's been a month, and a close to a month and a half, and they just taken too long. So, so since they're gone, I have needs, so I'm going to create an idol for myself, and this is our God. So because the Lord was taking too long, they decided to take matters into their own hands. Never mind that Moses was interceding on their behalf before God. Never mind the fact that he was receiving instructions from God on how he can make a sanctuary so that he could dwell with them even more in their presence. So God was setting them up for something bigger and something better, but because he was taking longer than what they wanted, they said, we're going to make idols our own self. We're going to make a God our own self because, you know, I'm not, I'm not joyful right now. I'm not happy, so I'm going to, I'm going to make another idol right here. I, we need something to look at. I need a God, so I'm going to make something because God is just taking too long. We see the same thing today. If the Lord doesn't respond in the manner and the time frame that we want, what do we do? Oh, well, I prayed to God yesterday. I didn't get an answer today. So uh, no answer means yes. So if God doesn't respond in the time frame that we desire, then we take matters into our own hands. Or if God doesn't do what we want him to do. And we see that again. Moses going 40 days, 40 nights. They said he's taking too long. He's taking too long. So we got to move on. If we don't feel the presence of the Lord, we get bored and impatient and put our interest in created things. I read once that it, it's not, the, the amazing thing is not that we get bored with God, it's that it's amazing that God doesn't get bored with us. I mean, how can God, what does God see in me? 
what is man that you are mindful of him? What? I mean, what is in me? So why is it that God doesn't get bored? Why does he want to hang out with me? Praise the Lord. The question I have is, are there any idols in your life? Don't look to your neighbor. Don't think about, oh, I wish so-and-so was here. They need to hear this. Are there any idols in your life? And they're usually not hard to find. They're usually not hard to find. It's the very thing that we have a tendency to go to and to gravitate to for fulfillment and for joy. It, it could be anything. I don't know. It could be the TV. It could be sports. It could be computer. It could be clothes. It could be someone else. It could be drugs. It could be a number of things that we gravitate to for fulfillment or for joy. So we have to examine our own life. I don't know what it is, but it's usually something that's staring us right in the face. And, and there's, there's nothing wrong with, with the TV. I'm, I'm not saying there's something wrong with TV as an example, unless it, it causes us to, to sin and to forsake the growth in Christ. There is something wrong with it. When it becomes our pleasure rather than God's presence becoming our pleasure and our pursuit. Notice there wasn't, the problem wasn't that the Israelites had gold. It, that wasn't the problem. The problem was they took the gold and they made it into idols. That's what the problem was. So let's not mistake his possessions that he gives us for his presence. Let us not mistake the two. For we know that Satan will offer you possessions. He will offer you things. If we look back at Matthew chapter 4, when, God, when Jesus Christ was being tempted, what was the last temptation Satan brought before God? He took him up on a high mountain. He says, the, the, the kingdom of the splendor. He said, I'm going to give you all of this. I'm going to give you everything. If you simply will do what? If you will bow down to me. He didn't even say you had to disown God. He didn't say that. He said, just bow down before me and I'll give you everything. And Jesus Christ responds that you and we are to worship the Lord, our God, and serve him only. So possessions and things are no indication that God is in your presence because you have a lot of stuff. Amen? Now, I do like, if we look back at chapter 33, I, I do give the Israelites credit in their response to what God said. Because when God told them this, they actually started to mourn at the thought that God's presence would not be with them. They were having fun until God threw that out there. So I give them credit for, for that particular response. The gold that they had received from Egypt, they began to take it off. Because God told them, take it off. Take off the gold. I'm, you know, I'm sick of seeing you parade around in the gold that I gave you. You know, this is the gold that God gave them. Actually, he forced the Egyptians to give it to them, right? You don't believe me? Check back in Exodus chapter 12. The Egyptians, about the time God got through with the Egyptians, they were just so pleased to get rid of the Israelites. They, they, were, they were inflicted with so many plagues. They said, here, we're going to give you gold, silver, just to get you to leave. So they didn't leave empty-handed. They left with gold. They're in the wilderness and got gold on. So they got all this bling-bling on. And they take what God has given them and they start to make idols out of it. 
they recognized that this gold and all that they had and the, 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 the possession of the land would not do them any good once they're in Canaan. They did, if they didn't have the presence of the Lord with them. So it dawned on them. The Lord told them to take it off. And the same is being said to us. We must get rid of our idols. We must take it off. Are we robed in idolatry, in, in gold or whatever we may have in our life, and we're, we're giving it more attention? That's what glory means. It doesn't mean that you're sitting there singing praises to whatever has been created. Glory means something that is a, it's, it's weighted importance. That's what glory is. That's what the word glory means, weighted importance. How much weight does it have in your life when it comes to importance? When I thought about that, I thought about the example, you know, I recall when I had a new car, one of the things I used to do was I would park way out. I'm not the only one? Okay. I used to park way out because there was so much clutter so many other cars and things, bass carts and things that could, could damage the car, could put a ding in the car. I remember my park way out. Nobody else out there. Came out of the store and the bass cart right in the side. Nothing else out there. My car was a magnet for the bass cart. But yet, God has given us something more precious, his Holy Spirit, Put it in us, and we will dwell in the midst of sin and not be concerned with how it affects us or affects God. We're more concerned, give more weighted importance to our vehicle. I know because I've been there. But yet, when it comes to our spiritual self, we don't give it that much importance. So we will, we will be in the midst of things that will give us a ding and just scrape a little stuff off here and there, and that's not a problem. But I'm going to park my car way out, even though we can't take it with us. So how much, how much do we grieve the Spirit of God by our affection of things he has given us rather than he himself? The Lord blesses us with nice things, and rather than being more committed to him, we become less committed to him. Less faithful to him. This should force us to think about our motives, especially our motives for going to heaven. Right? The Lord said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, prepare a mansion. It's like, oh man, that sounds good. Are we going because God is there? Or are we going because of the things we will have in heaven? Are we going because a loved one is there? Or are we going because God is there? I like what Minister Juma said. He said, when, you know, when I go to heaven, I'm not going to be, you know, you know, I might be trying to look up a few people, but they're going to be way down on the list. The first person I want to see is Jesus Christ. I want to see the hands. I want to see the scars. I want to ask them all about everything. I want to know some things. I'm just going to spend some time in the presence of God. Everybody else, they ain't, they ain't going nowhere. So I'm going to spend time in the presence of God. What are our motives? Whom have I in heaven but thee? Earth has nothing I desire but you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but the Lord is my, the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
love that Psalm 73. If you read the beginning of that psalm, he's focusing on the material things and what everybody else has. And he says, Lord, it just don't seem right. I'm serving you. I'm trying to be committed to you. But everybody else is parading around with things and they got stuff and they're blessed. Is something wrong here? But then he says, I remember what lies ahead for them. I know what is to come. And he could say this, this psalm right here. That... Regardless of what goes on, he says, whom have I in heaven but you? Heaven has no one else but he desires. His flesh, his heart may fail, but God is his portion forever. May that be our song. Moses' response to what God says reveals a great deal about his perspective and him having the right perspective on the presence of the Lord and to desire the presence of the Lord. For we see when God told Moses that he was not going to go, Moses said, you don't go, we don't go. You don't go, Lord, we don't. Ain't no sense in even sending us up from here, having an angel fight for us and clearing everything out because we won't have peace when we get there. If your presence isn't with us, then we might as well just stay where we're at right now. So Moses had the right perspective. He said, the land without you, Lord, is useless. Our houses without God is useless. Our cars without God is useless. Our clothes without God is useless. The TV without God is useless. All these things are useless. Possessing these things is useless without the presence of the Lord. They cannot give you eternal life. They cannot give you peace. They cannot give you joy. They cannot give you security. Our possessions are no substitute for the Lord's presence. There are three things that this passage reveals to us about the Lord's presence, and I want to highlight those. There are three things that this passage reveals to us. First of all, we see that the presence of the Lord provides direction. The presence of the Lord provides direction. Somebody say direction. I like what Matthew Henry said. He said, divine direction is the best evidence of divine favor. Divine direction is the best evidence of divine favor. I know that I, I, I have God's grace upon me when I'm receiving direction from the Lord. The Lord told Moses and the Israelites to go on up to the land, to, to move on, but he will not be with them because they had taken his presence for granted. More than just understanding the importance of the Lord's presence, Moses demonstrates one of the most important traits to being led by God. God gives direction, but are we willing to be directed? And so Moses gives, reveals an important trait of one who's looking to be led. First of all, we see that humility is a key to being directed. And we can say that truly about, when it comes to humility, you can say that about anything when it concerns the walk, our walk with God. Humility plays a key part in everything. Now, humility certainly plays a part in, in this uh, situation. Humility demonstrates our desire to be led by God and the wisdom to know we need to be led by God. Humility demonstrates our desire to be led by God and the willingness and the wisdom to know we need to be led by God. Psalm 25, 8-9 says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. He guides the humble. That's what it says. 
Moses recognized he wasn't fit to lead the Lord. Moses gets a lot of stuff sometimes because when God first came to him in the burning bush and God told him about what it is he wanted him to do and, and Moses had all these excuses and whatnot, and a lot of people say, man, you see the burning bush, just say, yes, I'm going to go. You all know just as well, you all would have been making up every excuse you could. Lord, I can't talk. Uh, my, I got arthritis. You know, I can't. I ain't going to make it. But I give Moses credit in, in some regard because he revealed his humility that he, he knew he couldn't do it on his own. That there was nothing in himself that would lead him to being successful at doing what God had called them to do. And he, and he reveals it here in these first few passages, verse 12 and verse 13. He says, lead these people. But he says, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. So Moses, he reveals that, you know, Lord, I can't, I can't do this unless you're there. I need your influence. I need your involvement. Isaiah 30, verses 21 through 22 says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice uh, behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. Then you will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a minstrel cloth and say to them, away with you. That's what Isaiah said. But, you know, we, when, when we look at direction and getting direction from the Lord, we will get direction from the Lord. But we pick and choose what direction we want to get. We pick and choose like we're going into the grocery store or something. Yeah, I want that. I don't want that. So the problem is we, we have a tendency to pick areas in our life that we want to receive direction in. That's a problem. And there are times when we might be on the verge of entering into our own Canaan without the Lord, and then things start to go south, and then we wonder, why is everything working against me now? Why am I having so many problems? Why am I having so many troubles? Well, because you entered into your Canaan without the presence of the Lord. And Lord's will is not with you. That's the reason why you're having so many problems and God is disciplining you because you did not listen to his direction. How many of you, if you like me, have been there before, you, you've thought about seeking direction from the Lord, right? You thought about seeking direction from the Lord on something that you really really want it. I mean, it, you really want it, right? I mean, you go into Best Buy, you see this TV. She, she always tricked me about being in Best Buy sometimes, but you see something that you really want, and you know you should take it before the Lord and ask him for direction. But because you already know beforehand that it is against God's will, you say, I ain't going to pray about that. Because I know what the Lord's going to say. I know what the Lord's going to say. He's going to say no, and, you know, if I read his word, then he's going to tell me, you know, no, you shouldn't be doing that and doing this. So I'm just going to move on without the Lord's direction. Some examples. You have a man or a woman come into your life. You're a single person. You have a man come into your life. You've been praying about it. Lord, give me somebody. I want somebody who is, you know, who treats me right, doesn't, doesn't dog me, and just cares about me and, and you've been praying about it and somebody comes into your life. But you're not sure that they're a Christian. And you ain't trying to bring it up in the conversation because you ain't trying to scare them off. You've been looking for somebody for a while and you ain't about to bring up Christ in your conversation and letting them know where you stand. So I'm going to get them on the hook for a little while and, and pull them in and, 
and, and, and I'm not going to be going to the Lord because I already know what God says about being unequally yoked. I already know. But maybe he's a Christian. Maybe he is, so maybe we're not unequally yoked. Or you have that car, you know, you see this car that you really want. And you know your money's already a little funny, but you know I can make it work. I can make it work. I'm not tithing right now, but I'm going to start tithing at some point in time. And, you know, by the way, this car will make me look good. It, it'll, it'll spruce up my identity a little bit. And you're not going to go to the Lord in prayer and ask for it because you know what the Lord says about being a good steward of his money. You're not going to go to the Lord in prayer. So instead of following his direction, we go in the opposite direction. We have that Jonah syndrome. You know how Jonah acted, right? Instead of acting like Moses, we act like Jonah sometimes. Jonah, God gave Jonah some directions. He said, go before the Ninevites. He said, I want you to preach my word to them so that they will turn from their ways. And what did Jonah do? Jonah fled the opposite direction. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, but I'm going to try to run from him anyway. And after God called him and he preached to the Ninevites, they repented. One, one thing that that also tells us, as a side note, that is not, it's not in the messenger to convert or to cause them to repent. It's the, the power of God. Because Jonah didn't want to do it to begin with. Amen. But God said, just preach the message and I'll take care of everything else. The Ninevites repented. They turned from their sins. And what did Jonah say? Jonah said, that's the reason why I fled. Because I knew you were a compassionate God. I knew you were a gracious God. And I knew they were going to turn. That ain't what I wanted. That was not my will. So I fled the other way. Pick and choose our directions. The Lord provides direction not only how to live today, but how to live for eternity. Direction to eternal life. And if we're not following God's direction through Jesus Christ, we're lost. Some of you who have not accepted Christ may be saying, well, I'm not lost. If you haven't accepted Christ, you lost. You lost. You might have a nice car. You might have a nice job. You might know what your career ambitions are. You might have a business plan and everything laid out, but you're still lost without the Lord in your life. Many times we are lost and don't even know we're lost. I'll give you an example. When I was younger, I was a teenager. We wouldn't hesitate to catch the bus somewhere, right? We'd get on the talk bus, we'd go down to the Galleria, or we would go to, you know, we would catch the bus. We weren't, you know, we weren't, we didn't, we didn't care. You know, we'd catch the bus. And so my friends, a couple of my friends came to me and said, Let, let's catch the talk bus to the Oxmoor Mall. Again, this is when I was a teenager, young, right, okay? We're going to catch the bus to, to the Oxmoor Mall. And... That was all fine and good, but we had never been to the eastern part of town. So I had never been to the Oxmoor Mall or anything like that. We were used to Jefferson Mall, Basher Manor Mall, Galleria. That was it. We didn't go on the east side. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't venture out there. And so when it came time, we said, sure, we'll go. You know, we weren't scared of anything. We'll, we'll go. We'll jump on the bus. So we caught the bus in the neighborhood. Called it to Basher Manor Mall. We got a transfer. Transfer. We told the bus driver, said, hey, when we get to Oxmoor Mall, let us know. We're going to get off. <laughs> right? We got it all down. Right? And when we pulled up to a mall, 
we said this has got to be the mall. This has got to be the mall. I mean, how many other malls is there? You got the Jefferson Mall, Basham Mall, Galleria. This has to be the Oxmoor Mall. We were going, I, I, I had a note, we were going to meet uh, some friends. They happened to be girls, but they were friends. <laughs> a note. Uh, and, and so we get off the bus at this mall, and we're, we're, we don't think we're lost. You know, we're walking around for probably about an hour or two hours. We're looking. You know, this is before they had cell phones and you could text people and say, where are you at? You know, this is before the time where you had to actually talk to the person in your presence rather than talk to someone who's not in your presence. Some of you all will get that when you get home. And, and so we're looking around for a while, and then it dawns on us, we're lost. This is not the Oxmoor Mall. And we humble ourselves. And we go to, the, to someone and we say, excuse me, what mall is this? And he says, this is the mall in St. Matthews. <laughs> the Oxmoor Mall is down the street. And praise the Lord, it was just down the street. So we could just walk to it. But the whole thing in, in that message is we were lost and we didn't know we were lost. And just as God puts signs out in front so that we know which direction to go, we choose to ignore them or overlook them because we're focused on other things. We ignored the big sign out front saying the mall in St. Matthews, probably missed the entranceway saying welcome to the mall in St. Matthews, on the inside, mall in St. Matthews. We, we didn't see any of that. And sometimes we do the same. We do not look at God's word and what he's telling us. We choose to overlook it. We choose to ignore it. We don't look at his word. And then we wonder why we're lost. It's easy to get lost. There are so many things in this world that lead you down the wrong direction. So many ways to eternal hell and only one way to eternal life. Only one way to eternal life. So it says, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Small is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And it says only a few find it. Only a few find it, it says. And that small gate is Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the light. The Lord came for that very reason to seek and save the lost. That was the Lord, that's the Lord's purpose. So if you have not given your life to Christ, you're lost. But there's good news because Jesus Christ can direct you in the way if you just give your life to him. So we see the first thing with the Lord's presence is the Lord's presence provides direction. The second thing we see is the Lord's presence provides rest. For in verse 14, the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. After Moses talks to God, the Lord tells him that his presence will go with him. And because of that, he will give them rest. And Moses and the people knew that his presence would give them rest. But you know, Moses was so, he was so bent out of shape. He was so caught up in the Lord saying what he did before. That if you notice in verse 15, he keeps on. The Lord said, I'm going to go with you and give you, give, give you my rest. And, and Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. So Moses is still so bent out of shape that he, it's almost as if he ignored what God told him. And so, so, so Moses is so worked up, but he knows 
and he's worked up because he knows that God's presence provides rest. When I think about rest, I think about security. When I think about rest, I think about peace. I think about the assurance of God. And again, we go back to we don't want to supplement God's rest with anything else. We don't want to supplement his peace and his security that he provides. And all of these reflect on the greatness of God's presence. It's not easy claiming security, peace, and assurance in times like these. I admit, it's not easy. You, all you have to do is turn on the TV, look at the news. You know, I, I kind of like watching the news quite a bit, but, it, you know, sometimes you look at the news, it's like, man, what is going on? There's just, you know, you got wars, you got uh, floods, you got all these things that are going on. I imagine these are things that God said would happen. So it's nothing new, nothing that is not surprising, should be nothing surprising to God's people. But yet when you look at it, sometimes you wonder, you, 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 you know, you may have a, a tendency to feel less secure and assured about what's going to happen and how that may impact or affect you. But it's amazing how God's people can experience rest in a restless world. For God's presence promises rest in a restless world. If we trust and depend on him, he will give us rest. He will give us assurance. He will give us peace. He will give us security. How do we experience this trust? Or how do we experience this rest that God is talking about? There's three quick things that we want to take note of. One is by trusting in the Lord. I mean, it seems simple, but you have to trust in the Lord in order to experience that rest. You have to trust in the Lord. We can't have uh, uh, rest trusting in ourselves or in other things because they will always let us down. You can't have peace depending on something else outside of God. We will be disappointed every single time. Secondly, being content in the Lord. You have rest when you learn how to be content. We saw that this morning in Sunday school. Paul said, I've learned through all things how to be content. Right? I've experienced the highs, the lows. I know what it is to go without, to have plenty. But I've learned in all things to be content. And if we can learn how to be content, we will experience the rest and the assurance that God provides. Thirdly, obeying the Lord. We experience rest when we obey the Lord. The Lord gives strength to those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So obedience, as we saw before, plays a key part in his presence being with us and therefore us experiencing the rest that he offers. Our souls can only find rest in God. There are some great imitators in the world, I may add, that appear to provide rest and security, but they fall far short of bringing us everlasting peace. Psalm 16, verse 8 through 9 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Rest and assurance. Can you see Moses' assurance in the Lord? He's like, Lord, if you just go with us, everything will be okay. The land is not enough. If you just, if your presence is with us, everything will be okay. So Moses is assured of that. Moses is depending on God. 
And, and never mind that Moses was not enthused about the angel, right? Never, uh, this angel, one angel, he says angel, not angels, but he says angel will go before you, will slay everybody. Moses wasn't enthused about the fact that there was someone else that was going to go before them because he knew that there were no substitutes for the presence of the Lord. Even though the angel was going to go, he says, if you're not there, there, there are no substitutes. Heavenly beings are nice, but Lord, we want you. We want your presence. We are at rest when we have assurance of his presence and his presence alone. We are assured of his presence and influence on our life if we abide in Christ. Christ said, if you abide in me, I will also abide in you. So we want that presence. It requires us to uh, be obedient and to trust in him. So the first thing we see, again, is the presence of the Lord provides what? What was that? Direction. Direction. Secondly, we see the, the, the presence of the Lord provides what? Rest. rest. Amen. Direction, rest. Third, we see that the presence of the Lord makes all the difference. Presence of the Lord makes all the difference. Moses knew that the presence of the Lord is what makes all the difference in the world. That tilted the scale. That, 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 if, if you got Lord, the Lord with you, if you got God with you, that, is, that, that makes all the difference. And the Lord chose the Israelites to be different, right? And Moses knew that. That's the reason why he responded in verse 16. He says, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? He knew that God was the one who made the difference. Christ is the one that makes the difference in our life. And he says that what else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? It's not the cars that makes me different. It's not my clothes that makes me different. It's not my home that makes me different. He said, it's the Lord Jesus Christ that makes me different. He makes me different. God has chosen you and me to be set apart for his glory. To be different from everyone else. To be different from everyone else. To be different from everyone else. To be set apart. Be ye holy as I am holy. That's what he's calling us to do. It's easy being like everyone else. But it takes the Lord to be different from everybody else. It's easy being like everybody else. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we would be different than everybody else. He died on the cross so that we would be in the world but not of the world. He died on the cross so that we may glorify God and be different than everyone else. So that the world will come to know who God is through Jesus Christ. You are a royal people. A holy nation. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people of God, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter hit it right on the head when he, when he, when he, when he mentioned that verse. For his church, God's people, we are a royal people. We are a royal nation, a holy nation. Nothing else sets us apart except the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Be different by accepting Jesus Christ into your life and experiencing the presence of God in your life. Be different. I pray that you will desire God's presence more than his presence.
And if you have not accepted Jesus Christ into your life, experience the presence of God by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Our Father, God, we give you all glory and honor. Thanking you, Father God, for this message. I pray, Father God, that we desire nothing but you, that we will be satisfied by nothing and no one but you, Father God. If there be any idols, anything in our life, Father God, that we give more attention to, give more value to, give more importance to than you, I pray, Father God, that you will, that you will bring it to our attention and we will be quick to remove it, Father God, that we will be quick to put it in its place. Give us a longing to be in your presence, Father God, and to know, Lord, that if you are not with us, then then nothing else will substitute. Nothing else will do. We thank you for your presence, Father God. We thank you for the, the assurance that you provide, Father God, the blessed assurance that you provide through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you for the rest, Father God. We thank you for your direction that you give us, Lord. And we thank you, Father God, Because we know that you make all the difference. You not only make the difference, you are the difference. And so we thank you, we praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen.